0: documented. Miracles happening today. Today we are here with Amy Snyder. Amy and her family are a part of the Prescott Church. She moved to Prescott, I don't know how many years ago now.
1: 2015.
0: 2015. Yeah. In 2015, um she moved here. She married her husband Eli. And they have three beautiful children. They are just such a blessing in the church. Her husband does all the drama ministry and plays. They've pastored in Ohio for a period of time. And she has an incredible story and three incredible kids. She's a good friend of mine. She sings like an angel, just a side <laughs> note. But anyway, I'm super excited to get her story today. So thank you for being here, Amy. Yeah,
1: thank you for having me. I'm really excited.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I grew up in Southern California. Um, my parents got saved in a church in Marina Valley, California when I was 18 months old. And so from that point on, you know, my parents had me in church. And so I grew up knowing a lot about the gospel and about Jesus Christ, and I saw a lot of miracles and just um, God restoring lives, um, marriages, growing up in church. But from a young age, I really struggled with rejection. I struggled with wanting to just be accepted by people. And I think um, as I've gotten older and I've just reflected upon my life, a big part of that came from being adopted. So my mom and my dad couldn't have kids. Um, And so after being married for about eight years, they, you know, had started the road to adoption and were able to get me. And like I said, they were wonderful, wonderful parents. But I think just there was, you know, something in my life that really wanted to be accepted. And so once I got into like my early teen years, I really struggled with just feeling like I didn't fit in with my friends at school. And I began to kind of pull away from, from church and um, not outwardly, but inwardly, I would make these little small decisions and compromises
0: Can you tell us about when you found out you were adopted? Do you remember that?
1: Yeah. You know, there wasn't a, my parents never kept it a secret. It wasn't, you know, all of a sudden they sat me down at like seven or eight years old and said, you know, we have some big news. It was kind of always common knowledge in my home. My parents always, you know, I remember from a young age, my mom telling me, you know, that they got to choose me and. Just that they were there from day one, and I don't know, they always presented it in this very, like, we chose you, we wanted you, you know, God placed you in our home, and so there wasn't this, like, defining moment, so I always knew, but I think as I got older, understanding and grasping, like, what that really meant, you know, and processing, you know, that I had this other family out there, and you know, just, I think that that almost subconsciously, I felt like, why didn't they want me? And I wanted to know and understand. And sometimes my mom didn't have answers because it was a closed adoption. So it, you know, it wasn't like she had like loads of information and, you know, she only knew a little bit about my biological mom and, and stuff. So yeah, so it was never a secret, and I appreciated that. I think I think that really just made it comfortable, you know, it, it made it, and I think it made it easy to even ask my mom or dad questions, because they had been so open about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel scared, like if I, you know, needed to know something, or, you know, I would always... You know, every time that you go to the doctor, they say, oh, you know, do you have any history of this? And I would always say, well, I don't know. I am I was adopted. <laughs> but, you know, there were times when I would ask my mom, but I never felt, you know, like she didn't want to talk about it. Like she was, They were just always very open and, and honest, and if I had questions, they were willing to try to, you know, sit down and talk to me about that. Yeah, so like middle school age is when it re- I really started to see just some changes in like my character and just... You know, I really wanted to fit in with all these kids at school, and I felt different.
0: And that difference was from your Christian upbringing, you think? Yeah, I Mm -hmm. think
1: a big part of it was I just, we grew up in the fellowship. My parents were heavily involved in ministry, so we didn't have a TV. (laughs) You know, I, I I remember fighting my mom. Um, not physically. <laughs> <laughs> Go and blow but... to my mom, like, God, God, She's like five foot. <laughs> but I'm um, fighting with my mom about going to the movies to see a movie with my friends. Just wanted to feel accepted with them. Gotcha. And so it, it started small, you know, I remember... I feel like I don't remember the exact moment, but I almost feel like I remember the first time I even cursed. It seems so trivial, but it was such a big thing for me. Like, just saying <laughs> that word, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe And
2: what word was that. it? No, I'm <laughs> kidding.
1: I remember ditching school with my friends, and I got caught by some lady at my church, and she told my mom, and then I had to make up this whole story with my, to my mom. But, so that kind of, you know, started... I think my interest was really peaked into like okay how can i fit in with these kids that i'm around all the time so it started like i said with cussing um i i remember getting a boyfriend and but i think really like i said i reflected a lot on my life just growing up and how i ended up in some of the places i did a lot of it was i just opened the door inside my myself you know i was i was willing to cross lines long before I ever even crossed those lines in my heart in my mind because I wanted to be accepted and and because I was still in church you know kind of going back a little bit I was still kind of playing that that part of like I go to church as I got a little bit older I got involved um, I've always loved singing so I got involved in worship and, and you know ministries like that but I I had checked out probably around the age of 15. And uh, um, I was chasing attention from guys. This is another thing I've reflected on because I had a great relationship with my dad. I still do. My dad and I are very close, but I think just the desire to be accepted overruled all of those things. And uh, so I started working when I was 15. I got a job. I, you know, I was beginning to be around people that were older than me. First real job was at Jampa Juice, and <laughs> <laughs> I worked there for about two and a half years, but some of the people that I got acquainted with were like 19, 20, 21, and you know, they're all older, they could party and drink, and, and so I started to kind of dabble with that, and just ended up, by the time I was like probably 17 years old, I was just wanted nothing to do with church. I went because I lived at home. My parents, that was basically a rule in their house. You know, if you live here, you go to church. But I was way checked out mentally and emotionally with, with church and with God. And I was doing everything I could to escape and get away from, from church.
2: Did anyone confront you at that time? Did they see the change or was it just?
1: Yes, actually my pastor's wife did. I remember her (laughs) pulling me aside one, one time at church and just, she was very, very straight up, very direct. And she was like, what are you doing with your life? And, you know, I, I didn't really know what to say. And she said, if you're not careful, you're going to end up pregnant or, you know, your life's going to be a mess because you're on this path of just destruction. But even that, even that warning that, you know, I still was, I listened to her, and I probably even cried because I was very sensitive, but I just, I wanted to do my own thing. So um, uh, when I was 18, I had a friend that I had worked with that had joined the military. She joined the Navy. And so I thought, gosh, that's like a perfect opportunity. I'll get away from my family, who I love, but it sounds like I didn't love them. I did. But... I just, I didn't want to do the same thing. I wanted to be able to live my life without them like scrutinizing me or, you know, interjecting and saying, hey, what are you doing? But I also cared what they thought. And so I wanted to give them peace of mind. Um, And I thought the
0: military's kind of
2: you know like at least sweet know. spot it's yeah. something yeah. It's admirable uh, yeah it's honorable yeah they're... but
0: you're away from the yeah so talk to me about this a little bit more because this is it's super fascinating obviously like to me you know being second generation church kids I'm always like so what do we do different like how do you do this because like obviously you want your kids to serve God for me personally, I always think I don't want them to feel like they're just boxed in at every corner. Like you have to be like this, you know, right. because you can't raise a Christian. You you can raise them in a Christian home. You can raise them with Christian experience. You know, they might even have encounters with God along the way because you give them lots of opportunity for that. But ultimately, there has to be a decision to surrender to God. Yeah. So I'm like, how do you, because I, I remember the angst. Like I feel like you're, you're explaining angst, like where it's just like. I just want to break out of this. I just want to like be able to be my own person and figure things out. But like, there's so much, I don't know.
2: I think you have that whether you're in a Christian home or not, to be honest, there's just a hope when you're in,
0: when you're raised. It's just a teenager thing. Like where you're just trying to figure it out who you are. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I think so. And if you want to be a rebel, you're going to be a rebel, you know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I thought about this a lot now because I have kids and I'm like, okay, how do I, keep my kids from making Mm -hmm. those same decisions or going down that path. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is. (laughs) I think, I mean, it's, and I'm not saying my parents didn't pray. I think they did. And in a lot of ways, I think that it did. Uh, you know, I think God was protecting me in different ways. You know, Mm -hmm. obviously I, I was rebellious in my heart and in my actions, but you know, there was still a lot of grace on my life. Um, and so I do think my parents prayed for me and I think that there were other people that prayed, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I pray I for just, my I children. I feel like there's
0: like kind of a debate of like, okay, is it better to be more strict? Right. Mm-hmm. And this is just total parent talk. I'm not <laughs> yeah. saying I know what's up or down. I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I talked to some parents who had kids at Rebel and they're like, man, I think maybe I was just too strict. I should have given them like an outlet. You know, and then other parents are like, no, you know, just really guard them and keep them, you know what I mean? And keep them away from the things and then just hope that they make the right decisions when they're of age. But anyway, it just always is something that kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I don't think there is a right way because just speaking bluntly, my parents were actually pretty laid back. They were not very micromanaging. Mm -hmm. I brought up wanting to go to the movies. My mom let me go. You know, she wasn't like, no, you know, because of this, you're not going like, Okay. You know, if that's, we'll let you go. I remember um, I had a lot of freedom until I started getting into some trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my Mm -hmm. parents, I mean, they got me a car when I was 16 years old. You know, I was, but they trusted me. Obviously there was, you know, some obviously trust involved. Yeah, Yeah. But they weren't like these micromanaging. I mean, I had to be in church, but other than that, they, you know, Eli and I have talked to my husband, and I, Elijah, have talked about this at times. It's like he, you know, can see sometimes how my parents were, were probably more lenient with me um, than it, even his own. You know, granted, you know, they raised boys first and then, right. you know, and, and I was the young girl. But um, yeah, they, they gave me a lot of freedom. And I never felt like my parents
2: enforced or were you have to be this way. I think kind of as Christians, too because of how the world is it's easy to say oh they rebelled because they were so strict when it's like mm-hmm. that's not usually why you rebel you rebel cuz you're sinner and cuz you want you cuz you're a rebel you rebel because you want to be a rebel
0: whether you're in a christian home or not i mean like think about the kids whose parents weren't strict yeah they're exactly they're doing their own thing too yeah, and they yeah. just do not bad of, about it <laughs> yeah and sometimes they actually crave like i remember friends actually being jealous of the fact that my parents cared my my mm-hmm. parents were pretty lenient about you know curfew and stuff like that but my mom did stay up or like know when I got home you right, know yeah. and I remember one of my friends being jealous of that yeah like surely my parents don't even know where I'm at <sighs> yeah they don't care that's crazy and and to me I'm just like oh, mom, oh come on yeah. I mean <laughs> I am like 16 and a half okay like And <laughs> three quarters yeah <laughs> no those are all things I've thought about too
1: but but yeah, so, so I joined the navy. I had a friend that I worked with at the time. She had just joined, and so I thought this is a perfect opportunity. I'm gonna, I'll get out. I'll get away. You know, it boat is honorable <laughs> or a boat to sleep. <laughs> but yeah, and so I, I enlisted, and it took about six months for me to actually leave the way that you know just. Uh, it all worked and everything and so during that time a lot happened in my life I right before I had joined I had lost um or for the first time really ever in my life had a friend of mine pass away and um that kind of rocked me a little bit and so uh, but during that time I had been partying a lot drinking a lot just all of those things and uh That seemed to increase. I had uh, started hanging out with this group of friends, and so I was clubbing with them like every week, just constantly partying, getting high, all of that stuff. And um, about two months before I was supposed to leave for boot camp, um, I ended up overdosing. And it scared the heck out of me. But at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally just ruined my opportunity to join the Navy, because they're going to look at these medical records, they're going to see that, you know, I took all these narcotics, and um, I'm going to be screwed. (laughs) And so... um,
0: What did you overdose on?
1: So my dad, from the time I was about 15, maybe a little bit younger, um, went through a series of back-to-back knee surgeries, and so he had a bunch of Norcos and Vicodin, and so I got my hands on that, and then at the same time, uh, I was just looking to get high, and so I grabbed, um, I didn't know at the time, but it was my dad had high blood pressure, so he takes medicine to lower his blood pressure, so I mixed Narcos, I mixed a bunch of Norcos with low blood pressure medicine, and then mm. proceeded to eat a bunch of edibles, <laughs> and so I was high and on all these drugs. And so I had gone to a show with a friend of mine, and I ended up blacking out. And so I told when I came to, I told. So you him, took
0: these before you left? Before I left to go to show, a concert, yeah, go I to, went a, to concert. a concert, okay.
1: And uh, and so. When everything happened, I, I came to and I was like, I need to tell somebody because I was like, what if, like, I really like, you know, like I said, I was just looking to get high. But I'm like, what if I really screwed myself, screwed up. myself up? I wasn't trying to die. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> was um, to so he, um, but he was high. <laughs> so he didn't want to stay with me. So he called my parents, but he took me to the emergency room and I ended up being in ICU for 24 hours. And uh, my parents came. They were able to get the exact medications that I took because I was honest, you know, and told my my mom and dad and the doctors. And so they talked to me. They gave me a little bit of a pep talk. They wanted to, uh, I don't know if it's the same in every state, but in California, they'll try to, you know, if they think like, well, why, okay, why did you take a bunch of pills? You know, are you trying to be suicidal or are you crazy? You know, so... They were trying to scare me a little bit and say, well, you know, do you want to, do we need to mark you down as a 5150, which is considered, you know, it's like a suicidal where you go into like this lockdown for 72 hours. And, uh, but I was really, I was very nervous. You know, I was, I was a month away from leaving for boot camp, um, for the Navy. And so I was like, I really can't have anything on my record. You know, I said, I was just being a dumb teenager and. Anyways, so I got out after three days. Oh, so they took. The t-
2: oh, to the. Uh, they the didn't hospital. let me know. Okay.
1: They they ended up you know they talked to my parents. My parents said we'll they were watch trying her. to kind of scare you. I think they yeah. were trying to kind of there's consequences. You know, you're lucky that it wasn't worse than it was, and um, so. But I think my parents being there, obviously, you know, being responsible, and they came and were there. They they said they would monitor me, and so they let me go without the whole you know 72 hour lockup. But I ended up calling my recruiter, and I was terrified. I was just like, I don't think I can do this. Um, his name was Gio. I was like, Gio, I, you know. And so he convinced me. He said, you know, he said, I understand. You know, and I told him, I was like, I just think, you know, my life, I'm obviously, like, in a weird place in my life. And I said, I just don't think that the Navy is I, it's what I need to be doing right now. And so he... He persuaded me to go down to San Diego the following month, and basically he was like, if you just go, if you swear in, and just I'll get credit for your enlistment. No way. (laughs) Um, He's like, and then you just dip out. He said they can't AWOL you because you've not been paid anything. So legally, the military doesn't own you yet. He just
0: wants his commission, <laughs> <Yeah>. dude. What?
1: <laughs> oh my So goodness. you know, I was pretty um, Did naive. Did you go
0: in thinking well, that's what you were gonna do? Yeah, So
1: I, I went down to San Diego. <laughs> wow. Uh, I told my parents, you know, I'm not, I'm not going. You know, I'll be back. Sorry,
0: AWOL, because there's no money in fault. <laughs> uh, but this guy's gonna get a fat check off me. Did he Dude, did he offer to I, split it? I was, you, was I gonna mean, say what? Did you get your cup? What benefit are you getting? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
0: I definitely did not think it through. <laughs> oh my gosh,
1: that is so funny. Um, but yeah, so I, I drove down there, nothing packed. Nothing packed at all. My intention was literally to, you know, basically jet out after that night. And so
0: Was the guy cute? There's gotta be more to this story. He just was convincing. Yeah, I was very easily manipulated and persuaded. Oh my gosh, Amy. So you go down without a backpack. No backpack.
1: I'm in my little What did your parents think you were doing? You know, I think at that point I mean they knew I was going. I think that they I don't know, maybe my parents were praying I would just go which ended up happening but (laughs) I don't know what they thought, wow. but um, but yeah. So I, I went down there. Um, I remember I had had my hair had been dyed like hot pink. I had these like weird colors in it, so I dyed it this like brownish red color. <laughs> I go down and it's all of the military branches in one location. So you're all there, and um, I remember that night uh, being with a group of people. And um, you get, like, a voucher to go get, like, your last meal. <laughs> um, and it's just the Chili's. They're cheap. But, <laughs> but still. Oh, so we go. Goodness. We go to Chili's. I'm sitting with all these people. And, I mean, everybody is, like, gung-ho. Like, we're going to save the world. You know, like, this is 2007. So, you know, pretty pretty far after terrorist attacks but there was still you know there was still a lot of passion there's still a lot of Mm -hmm. zeal a lot of people were still joining um you know to fight war on terrorism and so um i remember just being with all these people and i was like you know i was very i'm still very easily influenced but very easily influenced and i just got i hopped right onto that train and i was like i'm gonna save the world (laughs) so i called my parents that night and i said i'm gonna go and so my mom and dad were like, okay. So they, I told them what I needed. I didn't need a lot. You know, the military gives you basically everything. They tell you to, to come with very limited items. So I asked for a, a Bible my glasses, uh <laughs> and probably a couple other things Some and Tonies. No, <laughs> no they gave you chones, girl. Well no. <laughs> um,
2: oh,
1: that's that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and so um yeah. So the next morning I my parents they drove down that night. They gave me all my stuff. I said my goodbyes and the next morning I flew to Chicago and uh it was just a whirlwind. I remember specifically the first 48 hours. And I I called my recruiter because I was really nervous about the medical thing. Because initially when everything happened, he had told me they're not going to find out. But I was like, how are they not going to find out? It's the military. It's the government. <laughs> they know everything.
0: <laughs> you were scared they're going to find out that you got high. Yeah. Okay.
1: And that's like a huge no-no. You could just get immediately kicked out. And so I remember him telling me, I called him that night and he said, He's like, anytime you say yes to something, he said, it means your enlistment stops. So he said, you say no. And so he said, if they ask you, have you ever smoked weed? You say no. Have you ever, you know, drank underage? You say no. And so...
2: (laughs) We're getting all the tips here on (laughs) Documenting.
1: So I um So the first 48 hours, they really try to break you down mentally. They keep you up, get to, you know, boot camp, you're immediately like put into ranks and you go through just this huge, you know, long, you go through medical, you go, you get all your civilian stuff over, you're given everything is, you know, you're given everything military, you, you all look the same. You're in the same sweats, the same t-shirt, the same chonies, the same shoes, the same socks. <laughs> um, They cut your hair. I mean, you are immediately given. How
0: short do they cut your hair?
1: They say chin length. Um, which I came in with chin length, but apparently it wasn't chin length enough. So it's basically right under the ear. Okay. So some girls will go in and.
0: Is it cute? Do they style oh, it? Oh, no. Cute?
1: These are not like. <laughs> They're like. <laughs> they are not asking what you want. They are
0: <laughs> coming in with big old scissors.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's
0: a straight across
1: chop. And okay. um, you can't even wear your civilian glasses, your issued military glasses. They're called BCGs stand for birth control classes. You're not there to get a boyfriend, you're not there to get a girlfriend, you're not there uh you know, you're there to be you're there to become one unit, you know. And so there's no individualism there and um and so the first 48 hours that you go through this heavy just routine of you know, they they ask you a ton of questions. And so I remember going and sitting across from some person who'd probably been in the military, you know, four or five years. Now looking back, but you know, they just ask you a series of questions and I just remember answering no to everything and uh, I made it through that and <laughs> and then boot camp starts and um, I spent a little over eight weeks there. I went, I left November 10th and I graduated sometime in the beginning of January um, so I, I, was away for Thanksgiving and Christmas and, um, it's old school there. You write letters, but I just remember how many weeks is it? It's eight weeks total, but okay. because of the holidays, we had a little bit of a longer stint. And so what do
0: they do on Christmas? Did they even acknowledge it?
1: Yeah, they did. We had like, they do a Christmas dinner. Um, I think we had the day off, so no drill or anything like that. Okay. You know, you would get one day a week where you would have like, uh, like every Sunday, um, I forget what they called it, but you were you were able to kind of, you could take a long shower if you wanted to, because every other day you're taking, it's you know you're in a a room with eighty girls, um, and so you have a twelve minute shower time between the eighty of you. Oh my! So it's on like this fast rotation
0: um and so what does that come out to wait how said does Matt. that do that i'm old. So, 12 well minutes. so there's
1: two big uh head things that have like probably 12 oh, okay i don't know yeah. shower heads on them oh. and uh so you're it's in like jail. there yeah it's <laughs> like
2: jail <laughs> nice
1: yeah yeah and you know everything is just yeah. structured it's the military yeah mm-hmm. but you would have yeah. that one day where you know you could write letters home you could take a long shower you could go to chapel they had different um, church services I I remember going to church a couple times there uh, but being raised in our fellowship uh, church was very different for me you look for certain types of preaching or I don't know it was just very different and so I would occasionally go to the Catholic mass because there was a guy that I thought was cute and it was the only time that like you were with, like we were in a co-ed division. So we had, it was girls and guys, but you know, you're not allowed to talk to the guys at all. Mm -hmm. And so, but at church you could a little bit. And so I remember (laughs) I would go to chapel with this guy sometimes. And, but I I really wasn't, I wanted nothing to do with church. I, I, you know, it's a very just calloused view towards it at that time. I wanted to do my own thing. And so, I spent, like I said, probably close to about 10 weeks in boot camp. Um, I graduated, and then my rate, when I joined the Navy, I became an operations specialist. And so initially, I would be, there's multiple things you could track. Aircraft in the sky, you know, you would be able to tell, like, what type of aircraft it was by how fast they're flying, they're you know, how high or how low they were, just different things like that. Or you could track the distance of the ship and you would keep track of like, they call them mo boards, where you track the distance, the wind, all of those things. And you're basically charting the ship's course. Um, So that's what I was trained to do. I spent an additional, my school was only eight weeks, but I ended up being there for probably, I don't know, three or four months. I didn't leave until uh, May. I left Chicago in May. I finished early, so I was just waiting for orders. I didn't want to go to California. <laughs> I had put everywhere but California on my dream sheet when I graduated. I think mainly because, I, like I said, I was really just trying to get away, break away. And, but after waiting like over a month for orders, they finally came to me and they were like, hey, the only, or we just got these orders. You don't have to take them. But it's for a helicopter squadron, so it's a little bit out of your rate. But it would be stationed in San Diego. I was so sick of Chicago. I'm from Southern California. Mm. I was in Chicago from November to May, which is like winter. (laughs) I was like, I just want to leave. It was gray. There was no sun. I was just done. So I was like, I'll take them. (laughs) And so they said the only problem is they're already deployed. So you'll meet them out there. And I was like, okay. And I was like, do I get to go home at all? They said, yeah, you'll get two weeks leave, um, but then you'll fly immediately to wherever they're at. And so I just was like, I'll do it. And so I went home for two weeks. Um, I bought a car, which is really dumb, because I immediately, like, left. And um, You
0: bought a car for the two weeks you were home?
1: I bought a car because my parents had sold... The one I had had and I was just like I want my own vehicle exactly. but I wish like looking back you know I wish I would have just waited I would have come back with all this money but instead I bought this car that then my parents drove for six months yeah but I was just you know I was young. 19 years yeah. old yeah I went home for a couple of weeks um, saw my parents yeah I bought a car and I got my nose pierced on both sides I've like very vivid like memories and uh, on both which sides. Is another dumb decision. Both sides of my notes, Yeah. Why um, both sides? you so can switch know. it up,
0: or did you wear two together? No.
1: Well, I was so dumb because then I got to the ship, and you have to take they, they saw them, and they were like, "You can't have." <laughs>
2: <So> <laughs> You're about to I'm be like, deployed.
1: You're like, "What's personal?" Yeah. <laughs> I was just very dumb, you know. But yeah, so I I I flew out of San Diego. And they flew me to Bahrain. And then from Bahrain, I was flown onto the ship. And um, I was on an aircraft carrier. So um, I got there and immediately thought, okay, I'm going to do my job. I was still kind of in I'm going to save the world mode. Mm-hmm.
0: I like that. I like that. <laughs> Military personnel. I could see that, you know. I see the cape poking <laughs> I could, out. That's yeah right. I could see yeah. that. But...
1: Immediately or almost immediately was temporarily assigned to a kitchen duty, which has nothing to do with my rate. And so I spent the majority of that deployment cleaning dishes, which was awful. And I remember probably three months in thinking like what the heck did I do (laughs) it was just it was awful I hated it it was hot.
0: Were you on a ship?
1: I was on a ship okay I you know I'm the bottom of the totem pole I never did like ROTC in high school so Mm. I came in as an E1 and you know it's a very boot camp is it's a very glossy version of the actual military life. And so once I got out there, I just thought, gosh, this is, it's just, it's, or, you know, for every one girl, there's 10 guys. So it's a very male dominant environment. You are on a ship. It's not like you're getting off. It's like every day is the same. You know, you wake up, you sleep in the same place, you go to the same place to eat food. It's just, it's a very... It's a very drastic lifestyle, um, especially deployments. You know, when you're when you're back home or when you're not out to sea, it's different. But but when you're out to sea, it's just a whole different culture. It's a whole different lifestyle. You know, you get to hit port once every thirty days if you can, Holy um, if there's no high threat levels, and you know you're there for three days and it's like a weekend, and everybody just parties and gets drunk and makes a lot of really bad decisions. (laughs) And so I went from boot camp to being thrust into that, you know, but then I wasn't working with anybody that I would be working with. I was temporarily assigned to this other division. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't join the military to clean dishes. You know, I was, I thought I was going to be doing, you know, more operations type stuff. And so I remember calling my mom and I remember just crying, but you know, the military, it's not like a two, you can't just put in your two weeks. Like I signed a contract. And so, um,
0: how does that work? How long is your contract for?
1: So everyone's can kind of vary. It depends on your job and and what they need to. But at that time they were doing four year contracts. So four years of active duty And then with that, you get an additional four years where you can either at the time of the end of your contract, you can use those four years as a reservist, or you can become an inactive reservist, um, which is what I did, which just means I don't have to go to any sort of duty or report once a month. I just decided that I was done. And the only way that they would have called me back would have been had we gone to war and they needed... You know, for whatever reason, they needed somebody with the skills I had obtained while I was in. Gotcha. So, um, a lot of people will re-enlist, but, you know, I I did four years. So, but yeah, so I, I spent that deployment cleaning dishes. My final month on the ship, you, I, I was TAD for three and a half months. And so, the last month I was there, I was finally able to go to the location where my job would have typically been and get qualified. And so I spent about a month and a half looking at radars, getting familiar with different systems that the ship has. I went to the bridge and I got to do a little bit of charting. But because of my station, which was a helicopter squadron, we were based out of San Diego, that's all ship stuff. I, I was working with a, a helo squadron. So a lot of what I, I was getting qualified just to have the qualifications, but I would never be doing that. So it was more just, I think my division was like, okay, we don't know what to do with you. <laughs> you know, you're not, it's like too late to train me and any other stuff. So let's just get you qualified. And so I did that. And then we flew home and we got back. October of that year. So that was 2008 is when we got home and found out that we wouldn't be deploying for close to two years because the helicopters were going to go through a change. They were going to go from one type of helicopter to another. And so what would end up having to happen is all of the pilots would have to retrain in these different helicopters. So I basically got stationed in San Diego for two years.
0: How far is San Diego from Moreno Valley?
1: About an hour and a half. So I lived in San Diego. I, The girl that I had worked with that had got me to join the Navy, she got stationed in San Diego too. I hung out with her um, quite a bit. I had made some friends. I had a lot of downtime. I worked in the intel department of the helicopter squadron. Um, I worked with two other people. Um, an intel officer and then another um, intel specialist and and then we worked with all of like our division was attached to the air rescue swimmers so air rescue swimmers extremely prideful guys I don't know if any of them will listen any air rescue swimmers are going to listen to this <laughs> podcast like, wait
0: a minute <laughs> humble yourself yeah <laughs> a lot of them
1: a lot of them
0: are basically they've washed out of buds, which is the SEAL training. Oh wow. So
1: a lot of a lot of times what happens Wait, so
0: why are they prideful? they washed out?
1: <laughs> well they didn't make it through.
0: I mean, come on. No, yeah, just kidding. <laughs> I
1: know, right? Yeah, <laughs> humble yourself. <laughs> no, but so you Buds is young, so hard though. Yeah, but you get yeah. these young guys that they're super gung ho, yeah. they're super arrogant, you know, they think they're about to become a navy SEAL and then they get you know, kicked out or they don't make it through. And, and but they're still in the Navy. Like, sure. you don't just, oh, didn't make it. Well, there right. goes that. Like, you've committed to X amount of years. So now you have to find another rate. And so a lot of them get told, well, you know, air rescue swimmers, it's just like it's seals, you know, or you get to jump out of helicopters and save people. And what you do, that's what the, the that's, Navy
0: adds. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it do is Do really they cool. save just other military personnel or do civilians call upon the military yeah, so, in situations
1: well yeah no so the civilian, yeah so if sometimes you'll hear these stories about people that get lost at sea or they'll be on machine mm-hmm. so typically the military uh, response is the coast guard they are the ones that will usually go out but occasionally depending on the severity of the issue yeah you can get wow. dispersed That's cool. but a lot of times it's military um, but then our, our guys they also did a lot of the squadron I was a part of, they were known as a submarine hunter squadron. So they, you know, would get trained to, to look for submarines. They had radar in the helicopter that could uh, detect a submarine in the water. And so these guys were operating those systems as well. So it wasn't just, you know, rescue swimming, but they were trained in that. Yeah, so I, I was there. I was in San Diego for two years. During that time, I had just been party, 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 party. And eventually it kind of gets old. You know, like you just like, okay, I do the same thing. I go with the same group of people. I was still underage. I wasn't 21. So, you know, I could get in a lot of trouble if I ever got caught drinking or anything like that. And so I would do a lot of house parties and different things like that. But I remember just probably towards the end of 2009, I just was like, what am I doing? You know, I'm 20 years old. I literally go out every weekend and just get drunk. And I would go visit my family and I would go to church, but I just, you know, I really wasn't feeling it. And so I had this guy in my squadron, his name was Kyle Scott, and he he got saved. Uh, not in our fellowship church, he got saved... At just it was actually kind of like a mega church type church. Um, It was called the Rock. It's a pretty big church in San Diego, and um, but I would work with him, and um, I mean I used to party with this guy, and I you know I'm no stranger to people getting their lives Mm -hmm. changed. So I'm watching this guy go. I mean he was an angry drunk too. Like he would get he would get in fights, and like so he I just watched. God really changed his life. And I remember kind of feeling drawn back to that. And so he was always inviting people to church with him. And so he invited me and I started going with him to these small groups at this big church called The Rock. And, but I think for me, it was more just watching Kyle and I would watch him, you know, I'd watch his interactions with the guys in the shop because it's an extremely just, they're just vulgar and crass and, you know, they don't care if you're a Christian or not, you know, they'll, they'll say what they want to say and joke around and, but you know, these guys begin to kind of respect Kyle, you know, and, and I would just, I would just watching it all. And I remember starting to kind of just feel like this tug, like, you know, what are you, this is, you're just chasing emptiness, you know, you're chasing something that, you know, ultimately isn't going to satisfy you. And I knew that. But I just, I just kept fighting that I didn't want to give up some of the things I had started to entertain in my life. I had become a heavy smoker by that time. And I liked, if I'm being honest, I think that when I would party and drink, I I, I felt free. I felt, I don't know, just who I was. You know, I felt more carefree and, and bold. And I didn't feel those things when I wasn't doing the, when I wasn't drinking or all of that and so I didn't know if I wanted to give those things up and um and so I was fighting that and I remember one time my parents one night my parents called me and they invited me to this revival they were having with Jerry Fussell and I remember being like absolutely not I'm not going he's going to give me a word and
2: (laughs) he's not going
1: I'm like the perfect target (laughs) and so I was kind of like no I don't want to go and and then a few weeks later, I remember my mom calling me again and, hey, there's a revival going on in San Diego at this church. And it was with a pastor named Stacy Dillard. And I, you know, I was like, I don't know. You know, I was like, maybe I'll go. You know, I kind of was like, my mom's, you know, very sensitive and saw it. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll go. But in my mind, I was like, I'm not going. And I remember getting home to my, they call it a birthing, but... Or, you know, where you stay almost like a dorm. And there was a flyer on my door for this revival. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like like on base? Yeah, it was on base, on my door. So I'm like, "Wow!" somebody like goes to this church or has access to the base, you know? And so I kind of like took it as a sign. And I was like, maybe I should go. So I went one night. And I, like I said, I, I know the drill. I've been in our fellowship for a long time. So I kind of came in a little bit guarded, but I remember, I don't even remember what he preached on, but I just remember like when it came time for the altar call, as much as I wanted to fight it, I knew I needed to just raise my hand. I need—I—I I knew I wasn't saved. And I was like, I'm tired of doing the same thing over and over. So I, I raised my hand, I got saved, and I started going to the church in San Diego for a while.
0: This is Pastor Joe Rice?
1: No, this was, at the time, it was... It was a pastor named James Schultz. He's okay. no longer there anymore, but but yeah. So I I started going, and there was a guy that I worked in the same squadron as me. I didn't really know him very well. He worked with all like the mechanics and stuff, but he's the one that had left the flyer, and he was going to that church at the time, and so I went, but I was just still struggling. You know, I just didn't want to give up some of these things in my life, and um, we were starting to prepare at that point for another deployment. That we were going to take in 2010 and so i just thought i don't know i knew what it took to like really get my life right with god and i like i said i just wasn't there and so i ended up you know i would go but it just wasn't anything serious and um i remember coming to a prescott conference that year i think it was the summer and God was doing things in me, but it was just very surface level because I I hadn't given him everything. And then I would come to church and, you know, I think a lot of people, I was involved, you know, I had started going back sometimes to the Marina Valley Church where I was raised um, because I had a lot of friends there still. My parents are there. So I would drive up sometimes on weekends if I didn't have duty or watch or anything like that um, and spend the, the weekend there. But I really just wasn't fully surrendered, and we left in September of 2010 for our second deployment, or my second deployment, and, you know, I started off with every intention of, you know, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to, but about a month and a half into that deployment, you know, some of those boundaries I tried to set began to kind of shift, and... I had gone to church for a while, but I, I on this ship, but I didn't like the you have one chaplain for each religious belief, you know and so they tried to make it comfortable for everybody on board. you know, there's 5,000 people on an aircraft carrier roughly. And so there's plenty of different faiths and beliefs, but the Pentecostal or non-denominational, um, it was a female chaplain, which nothing against women, but just very different, like I said, from what I was raised knowing and, and used to hearing, and um, it was just not my jam. And so I remember uh, I had a really good co-worker. He was Mormon, probably one of, the, as far as just like morally, probably one of the best people I've ever met in my life. You know, he just... He was just a really good guy, (laughs) you know, and, and I, I took note of it because especially on a deployment, you know, a lot of people, you know, there are people that are married or in serious relationships, but they go out to sea and it's, it's like that saying what happens in Cabo stays in Cabo. There's definitely that mentality on a deployment. What happens on deployment stays on deployment. And so you get these people that are like married and they'll be like in relationships for six to eight months, you know, because your deployments can get extended and, you know, they have a wife at home or they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend at home or a husband and it's just, so I would always kind of take note and I I remember this guy, like, he's a good guy. I genuinely respected him and so I was kind of at a point where I knew I was struggling and I remember him being like, you should come to church with me and he goes to the Mormon church <laughs> and I just remember thinking, like, I am naive enough to, like, convert to Mormonism at this point in my life. (laughs) Like, I can just imagine calling my parents and being like, I'm a Mormon. (laughs) And so I just thought, I don't think it's wise for me. I, you know, even in, like, my not-so-saved, surrendered state, I just thought, I don't want to be confused Mm -hmm. by other people's doctrine and, like, religious beliefs. And I felt like at that point in my life, even though I'd been raised in a Christian church... You know, I was obviously searching for something. I was searching, you know, uh, and I didn't want to find it with that group, you know, because deep down I I knew that I I knew what the answer was. And so anyways, I had been out to sea for probably about four months. We had left September, pulled into port for Christmas time. We were in the Middle East. So both my deployments, I was in the Middle East. And, um, so we, we went to Dubai for Christmas and I was just hanging out with a friend of mine that I used to party with a lot, you know, when we were back in California and I just remember getting just trashed that weekend. And I was one of those people at that point in my life where I was like, well, I thought, I already got drunk one night. Might as well just keep it going. Yeah. And I definitely had the mentality. I I hate to say this, but I was very just like, God will forgive me. And I ended up just completely, it was just a blur. I ended up hooking up with this guy and thinking again, like I had thought probably every other time in my life. Really, I don't think I ever really thought about it, but it never crossed my mind about getting pregnant or anything like that. Cause I rolled the dice so many other times before and not ever had that happen. And so, um, I remember, I didn't even know, I didn't even know his name, like his last name or anything. He was with a group of people that my friend I'd been partying with knew. And so the next, you know, I remember waking up and immediately feeling so ashamed just for my, my actions, especially because I had started that deployment with just, I wanted it to be different than my previous one. My previous one, I was just wild and, and I was like, I really wanted, want to change. I wanted to change without having to give up the things in my life that I knew I needed to give up to really change. <laughs> mm, that's interesting. And so I just, I did feel shame, but I just thought, you know what? I'll, I'll repent, I'll get my heart right, and I just won't do it again. That's what I thought, you know, and went back to the ship. Um, I was about a month in after that trip, and, um, you know, I noticed some things. I was always tired, but you work 16-hour days, like, you're always tired. I worked nights, and so I was trying to sleep during the day, but that's when flight operations are happening, so you have these big jets landing on top of the ship, you know, or catching a wire. It's hard to sleep. Um, So I just thought, oh, I'm probably just overly tired because it's the end of the deployment. You know, we've been gone five and a half months now. And then started noticing some other things. I remember on the ship, the food is awful. It's like powder and you add water and that's it. But they have these like frozen chicken. Are you serious? I'm dead serious.
0: Emery's or whatever. I mean, it's not as bad as
1: like those, but it is more of like a. I mean, you have to think they're having to feed. So there's, they call them messes. That's what the kitchens are called. And so, you know, there's probably, I don't know, maybe I, and I could be wrong here, but I would guess 500 officers, probably, you know, around the same amount of chiefs which are they're enlisted but they're like uh they they've been in the military for a long time. They you know so they have their own mess. They have there's chief's mess and you have the officers messes. But then you have three kitchens that are designated primarily for enlisted. And the ship is basically the bulk of the people on there are enlisted. I would say about three thousand people on that ship are enlisted personnel so that's from E1 to E6 and and so yeah so they're making food for 3,000 people
2: three um, times a day
1: three times a day so it's got to be quick it's got to be a lot do you just think think instant like instant potatoes you know just that very and it's not that it was all bad but when and you get a lot of the same food items Mm -hmm. over and over and over again so um, and depending on where you're at too, they're limited on what they can get. Um, You know, like a lot of times they're getting replenished by whatever that country has. But one of the things they would almost always have is like chicken. They would have like frozen chicken wings or like chicken tenders. And that would like, I mean, everybody would get that on the ship. Like that's the best. And so I started noticing that like the smell of chicken, like you can smell it. Like when you're walking up to that deck and I'm like dude I would get like sick to my stomach and I'm like oh that's weird (laughs) you know but whatever again you know I just chalked it up and so I remember one day I was heading back to my my rack or my bed and I show up and the girl that bunks across from me is packing and I'm like girl, where are you going? And she was like, I'm pregnant. And I was like, no way, you know? And so come to find out, she had had a little shit boo and got pregnant by this guy. And so they were like, well, you have to go home. And so I was like, dang, that sucks. And I was like, well, I'll hit you up when I get back, you know? And we were good friends. And so we were in the same squadron. And so anyways, I get into my bed and I'm like, it hits me that I like haven't like had my period that month and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what if I'm pregnant? And I'm like super sensitive. I always sync up with other girls. And so I'm like trying to go back and remember when I had my last, you know, cycle and whatnot. And so on the ship, you can't just like there's a ship store, very limited, but you can't buy a pregnancy test. They're not, you have to go to medical. And the way that it works in the military is if you go to medical for something, but specifically pregnancy, they have to report it to your command. So if it comes back negative, all they have to say is a member from your command took a pregnancy test and it came back negative. They don't say who it is, but then the ship or then the command knows, like the CEO knows. So somebody in my command is, you know, is active However, if it's how
0: many women were in your,
1: so on the ship, I mean, in my, in my command, yeah. probably, I don't know, maybe 30, 30 girls. It could be a little bit, it could be a little bit less, a little bit more, but gotcha. yeah,
0: not a lot. So and, you have and to they, make a decision whether or not you're going to go for it and yeah, yeah. eliminate this possibility.
1: Yeah. And so, and then if it is positive, they immediately have to notify the command and they say who it is. So at that time I was a second class petty officer. So they would have said, you know, O oh, two CACMIS took a pregnancy test on this day and it came back positive. And so, um, but you know, sometimes girls will bring stuff on the ship and if Come you're willing to, to pay the price, you can buy it, you know? Mm-hmm. So kind of like a little black market deal. So I'm like asking around, you know, like, Hey, you know, I'm in a birthing uh, room with 200 girls on the ship. Mm. These are all of the air wing ship, like all of the girls that are stationed with squadron sleep in one birthing. And so, um, I'm trying to like, see if anybody has one, you know, after like a week, I couldn't find any. So I was talking to my friend, you know, and I'm ai was a heavy smoker, and I was like, dude, what if I am pregnant? You know, like if I'm pregnant, I'm at least six weeks right now. So she was like, I think you should just, you need to just do it. You need to find out. And so I I went to medical and I was able to talk to the direct corpsman, which is like the military's version of like a nurse or whatnot. But we had one assigned specifically to our squadron. And so I went to him and kind of told him and so he was like, yeah, I can give you one. And so he gives me a pregnancy test. I go take it, and it comes back positive. And I'm like, no, this is wrong. So he's like, well, I can give you another one. But, like, it's so not like I have a ton of them on the show, you know. So he's like, I can give you another one if you think it's wrong, you know. So he gives me another one. I go, and I just, I remember just bawling. I just broke down crying. And, you know, some of these, I had at that point been in the squadron for close to three years, And um, so some of these people had become like brothers to me, You know, some of them were old enough to be my dad. And so I'm like, I don't want them to find out through an email. And so I asked Foreman, I said, hey, would you let me tell some of these people face to face? And so he said, I'll give you, basically I think he gave me a few hours. And so I remember going and talking to a few people directly and I was extremely emotional. Um, And then they sent out the email, Uh, it goes immediately to the CO and the XO, which are the commanding officer of the squadron, and then the executive officer, and then it goes out to the other people that it directly affects. And so I was able to talk to a few of them, and then the CO wanted to talk to me and the XO. They wanted to know who the person was, which, like I said, I didn't know the guy was. I didn't know. Was I, he was in first the
2: name. military? Yeah, he was
1: oh, in the okay. military. So he was on the ship, but I just didn't know what part of the ship he worked in. And when I went to admin, because now there's, it's like, okay, well, if something happens to you medically, we don't have the equipment on board to, you know, take care of you. So we have to send you home. So I went to admin to find out. And so they said, well, you're going to leave Saturday morning. And this was a Thursday night. So I basically had, like, and then I had to call my parents. And then I had to make the decision of, okay, am I going to tell my parents why I'm coming home? Or am I going to lie and, you know, try to make something up? I'm coming home early because of whatever, you know. And so I just decided I'm better off just being honest from the get-go. So I had to tell my parents over the phone, you know, I'm coming home because I'm pregnant. And just, it was, and everything just happened so quick. I was temporarily assigned to the air wing department. So that meant I worked for all of the air wing, not just my squadron. Um, so I had had, but I'd built relationships with people that, you know, uh, flew fighter jets and, and all, you know, so it's like, I'm having to say bye to all these people, um, that I worked with and it built, you know, friendships with over the last six months. And, um, and so it was just this whirlwind of emotions and,
0: what about the guy? Did they ever
1: so I went to the girl that I had been partying with and I she was close to me. I just I said, Hey, can you try to find him for me? And so the morning I was leaving, she came up to me. I remember her she said, I found him. She was like, Give me your regular email address so that you guys can email. And so I gave her my email and I gave her like my cell phone number. And so once I got back to the States, he called me from the ship, and we talked briefly, and then he also emailed me, um, and so that's how we... It was just easier to email. It's, you know, not always easy to phone call, but so we did What was contact. his reaction? Initially, he was... I think he was a little bit shocked, but, you know, he seemed supportive of whatever decision I, just, I wanted to make. You know, he was just like, you know, whatever... Whatever you decide to do, I'll support you. And so,
0: in other words, like whether you kept the pregnancy or not, yeah, okay.
1: And at that point in time, if I'm being extremely honest, I I was very torn. You know, I I did I thought of every option in the book. You know, I
0: would the military have let you back on the ship if you decided to terminate it?
1: Um, not probably immediately. Yeah, I mean, eventually, I would have been able to go back to to, uh, my squadron or, but I mean, at that point, no, I would have had to wait until, you know, they were back. And so I would have been temporarily assigned. And so, I mean, either so way, was
0: there any pressure from people on the ship for no. you to, okay, no, I... that's good.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, it was so quick. It was such a whirlwind that a lot of people honestly didn't really know, you know, a lot of them found out after the fact, cause it was like, I found out Thursday night. I spent all day Friday packing, saying my goodbyes to people. Um, Because some of these people I would never see again. You know, some of them, um, you know, like when it comes to the air wing, they're coming from all over California, not just San Diego. So some of these people, you know, they lived in like Lemoore, which is like three hours away from San Diego. And, And so you know, and, and, and then again, I just, I didn't know where, where I was going to go with, you know, everything. And so I just remember saying, saying goodbye and, um, trying to find that, that guy, <laughs> you know, and then ended up just having my friend kind of figure out where he exactly worked. And, but yeah, they, yeah, nobody really pressured me, which, which I appreciate, you know, I think as a whole, the military pretty conservative and and I think that a lot of people actually before I had my daughter autumn, they I had some girls that threw me a baby shower from my command and, and just friends that I'd made. so I thought that was really sweet you know um, I actually felt like I had a lot of support in my decision you know to keep her and and that took time. I, I remember I got back to San Diego a few days later i I went home for a few days. I had an apartment in San Diego that you know I'd had before I left, so I was still living out there but i i you know my parents had shockingly taken taken the news really well. I was expecting them to disown me. <laughs> you know at this point in my life, I have not really in my mind lived up to be the daughter they raised or you know, I I just, it seemed like I was constantly just making bad decisions, you
0: know? And you know, they might not have been that shocked. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. In a way, like if you know someone's not serving God, I feel like there's always like this guilt around it and stuff. But it's not super shocking. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe to the person, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, it's you think true. you're hiding it really well. In the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We knew you weren't saved, Amy. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I don't know.
2: And,
1: and I, to some degree, I think there is truth in that. It's like you're obviously living this lifestyle. If you're not wise and you know you're not careful, you're opening. You, there's this possibility. You yeah, know? yeah. I remember my mom and my dad both just telling me, but my mom specifically, you know, she said, "Amy, she said we've been through a lot and we can get through this." and just really encouraging me like that this wasn't the end and that they loved me they were going to support me and i think that that gave me a lot of confidence and then when i when i got back to california i you know i had been gone so this i got back in february i had left in september like the very beginning of september and i had called the the pastor the church i grew up in cuz my parents were still going there and still go there and, and so I didn't know if he was going to let me back, come back to church, you know. I, and so I talked to him over the phone, and he said, well, he said, I want to meet with you in person. He said, so why don't you come with your dad before service, midweek service, and, and we'll talk. And so I think that he kind of wanted to get a gauge, too, of just where I was, you know. Am I repentant? Am I where, – where, where is she at? And um, so I remember going with my dad, and, um, in meeting with my pastor and, you know, I was extremely emotional. I just, I had felt everything had just happened so quick. And I think just processing it all, it it just kind of seemed like a, it was just like a dream. Like I was like, just not real, you know, like Mm -hmm. I was just, it's like all of a sudden, like my life changed. And, um, and so I think that that alone, I was, I was extremely emotional because of that, but Than having been raised in church and knowing, you know, that this is not ideal. You know, this is not how God intends things to be. And I think this is sobering reality of like, now I'm in this position of like, I'm going to have this baby and I don't have a husband. You know, this guy doesn't seem remotely interested in wanting to make things right. He doesn't come from a Christian background or anything like that. And so um, I think that that was really, it was bringing me to a point of like almost feeling kind of like just, I was just helpless. You know, what do I do? The only thing I knew to do was cry out to God. And, but then I felt guilty for doing that because here I had been living my life knowing, knowing right from wrong, basically. Knowing that the decisions I am making are just, leading me down a road of destruction. You know, I've heard that my whole life. I've witnessed it most of my entire life with people that come into church and made bad decisions. And it's like, you know, and so now I'm one of those people. And so the just the weight of condemnation and shame, um, I, was, I was pretty broken. And I think that my pastor could sense that. And, um, you know, even though I was struggling internally on, the decisions to make and 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 you know even really still just surrendering certain you know every aspect of my life to God I think he saw this wasn't like okay she's just made a bad decision and you know she doesn't care and I think he could sense that I was just in a state of really needing needing hope and needing needing a good support yeah. and um so, you know, I've over the years have, you know, contemplated, not contemplated, but, you know, you just think like, gosh, what if, what if I hadn't have been allowed to come back to church? Um, would I be where I'm at today? You know, would I have, would I have taken, you know, had my pastor said, well, I want you to wait six months or I want you to wait a year because of the pregnancy. You know, would I have come back to church? I I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I think that there was a lot of things in my life I during my that time I was pregnant with Autumn you know once I made the decision I made it I remember so when I got back I was like eight weeks pregnant my first doctors appointment I was 12 weeks so it everything seemed fast but I remember making a decision after that first ultrasound I was like okay I need to stop smoking and I remember throwing a pack, my last pack of cigarettes out my window on, you know, the five freeway in California and being like, that's it. I'm done. You know, I'm going to keep this baby and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I need to stop doing this, you know, this is destructive for her. And so, you know, getting to find out, you know, what I was having and all along, I was in contact with the guy who seemed somewhat interested, but, you know, not, not really not enough to like want to be involved and um i remember i had gotten orders to work for navy jag which is like the legal realm of the the navy marines and coast guard and so i was working temporarily for them um during my pregnancy and i would talk to these attorneys about you know just making sure i was going about the right way of handling things with him you know for anything future that I would decide for her, and but yeah, I just going through that whole time of just making all these decisions. I was getting back into church, but I still had a lot of influences from the military because I was still in. It's you know I wouldn't be out until November of that year, just as two thousand eleven, and so my you know I I just remember feeling very just uncertain with my life and I knew I was in church I knew that the best thing was going to be to raise my daughter in church but anything after that I was just kind of like I don't know what the future holds at this point I remember around um probably a couple months before I had autumn I had one of the first-class officers kind of pull me aside and basically they wanted to know what my intentions were for after I had Autumn. Um, the military, they don't really give you a normal maternity leave. Like, you know, in, I don't want to say the real world, but, you know, like in civilian world, a lot of times jobs will give you, you know, eight weeks or so, 12 weeks sometimes depending of maternity leave. But in the military... You have the baby and then you go back to work within like, I think three weeks, depending on like in, you know, if you've had a hard delivery, but you know, usually it's anywhere between three to four weeks, you're right back to work. And, um, and so I just remember thinking like, I don't know if I can handle my enlistment was going to be ending that November where I've completed my four years. And I just thought, I don't know if I can, I had contemplated staying in um, before I got pregnant um, I was considering maybe going to officer school um maybe becoming an Intel officer but now that I'm pregnant I'm, I'm like I don't know I'm not you know when I deploy like she's just gonna be with my parents for potentially nine months and that's a long time and then you know it's like there's no guarantee like I'll always have to do some form of sea duty like, you you alternate your sea duty and shore duty. So I'll do four years of sea duty and two years of shore duty. And it just seemed like a lot, you know, and it's like I have my parents, but other than that, no other support. And then it's like knowing, I don't know, like it was just so opposite of how I had been raised. My mom had always been home with me and my sister while my dad worked. And so I just thought I want to be able to be there for my daughter, and I don't want to miss out on things. So I, the more that I thought about it, I just thought, I don't think staying in the military is the best option for me. And it's constant, constant temptation to things that I'm trying to move away from. You know, it's heavy party lifestyle. It's just everything that I had been trying to transition away from was always there. And, And, um, and so I had autumn in September. I went back to work and I worked for about a month. And then I remember going, and I remember the only time I ever got any pushback was actually when I was getting out. And I remember I had to go, I had to get all these signatures to go to all these different places to sign off and get files and just all the stuff and just transitioning. I had to take a class because they, you know, you've been in the military and that's a very different lifestyle from the civilian world and you know um so i remember no
0: way they have classes yeah to transition, transition you back. classes yeah okay this similarities between the military and prison are kind of <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> shocking yeah it is
0: at least you're getting paid
1: it is It. i know i've joked about it but it is very similar to
2: to uh to prison <laughs> I wonder which one came first, the military or the prison? Good question. <laughs> which one was modeled after which one?
1: So they, I remember this one lady, though. I think I offended her because when I went to her office um, to get her to sign off on some stuff, you know, she goes, well, why are you getting out of the military? And I said, well, I just had a baby and I'm not really confident, you know, in raising her. And being in the military, it seems like a lot. Being a single parent, and she was a single mom.
0: <laughs> oh no!
1: And so she kind of reamed into me, and but other than that, I got out, and I got out November eleventh of two thousand eleven, and I, I decided that I was going to take a year off from everything. I had just come back from a, de- a deployment, and um, I had just been stacking chips. I had moved back in with my my mom and dad kind of dual reasons. Number one, I had moved out of my apartment in San Diego and, um, I decided just that living with them just for covering sense was what I needed at that time. But then, um, you know, I also really was just kind of like, I want to be able to stack my chips so that I can take a year off and raise, raise autumn. And so I got out and, um, and I spent just a year I, I decided you know I really need to figure out some things in my life and um, i had been connected to this other relationship I had another I guess you could call him a friend that had kind of still kind of odd to me but stepped up kind of a little bit when Autumn's biological father really wasn't and so he had become a good friend of mine and was kind of trying to pursue a relationship but he lived all the way in Washington DC and I just remember constantly like I was in touch with him and kind of carrying on this relationship but it got to a point where I'm like what am I doing you know am I gonna go live in Washington DC with this guy it's like I really I know him but I don't know him know him and he's not a Christian and I was in church at that time but still struggling and I remember um, specifically we had had a visiting pastor, and um, it was Pastor Casey Mammon, and he came and he preached and he preached a sermon on covering, and something just clicked in me in that sermon that I I can't be making these decisions I can't be it's selfish of me to be thinking of myself like Autumn needs stability and she needs a covering in her life and this guy is not a Christian. You know, what kind of covering is he going to provide for her? I mean, maybe the covering of some sort of father, but then is it going to constantly, you know, it's like, I just, I felt like I needed to make some really just, I needed to make some stance. And so I remember really that sermon kind of set me free from some things. And I remember I just completely stopped talking to the guy. I mean, just ignored him. (laughs) Like he would call me. I just wouldn't talk because I I wasn't bold enough to just tell him the truth. He was
0: ghosted.
1: I ghosted him big time.
2: (laughs) He's going to be like, so that's what happened.
1: But that really kind of, that sermon, I remember it just, it gave me some revelation and it set the tone for something in my life. And I remember around Autumn's first birthday, I registered for school. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to school full time. And I started looking for work because I was at the point where it's like, okay, I've taken a year off. But, you know, I can't live off of nothing forever. So I was very specific. I remember praying, like, God, I really want to work. It sounds super cheesy, but I really want to work at, like, a Christian bookstore. I don't want to be tempted. I want, you know, not that, like, there's other Christian you know, but I just thought, I don't want to work in this environment where I'm going to constantly be around people that are, like, pulling me towards the world. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be in an environment where it's, like, most of what I'm around is, godly things. And yeah. so I remember one day I was driving by, it was a local, like kind of family owned Christian bookstore, um, that I'd grown up going to most of my life. And I drove by one day and I just thought I'm going to go in and grab an application and see if they're even hiring. And so I walk in, I'm in like a tank top and jeans. And I asked the girl, I'm like, Hey, are, you know, are you guys hiring? And she goes, actually we are, let me go grab my manager. And so I'm thinking, like, oh, great. Like, I'm not trying to meet the manager of the store with, like, no makeup on and in a tank top and jeans. (laughs) And so, but she comes out and basically interviews me on the spot and was, like, offers me this job. And she goes, I would love to hire you. Do you think you can start, like, the second week of October? And I was, like, yeah. And so I got this job. I ended up working there all the way up to the point that I married. I got married to uh, Eli. Yeah, so I I got this job, and just that's I,
0: exactly what you prayed for. That's yeah. cool. It was exactly what yeah. I prayed
1: for, and I just remember like really starting to like. I was like, God, I want, you know, I need my. I need to have a real relationship with you. Like I grew up in church, I know the Bible, I know. I know about you, but I don't really know you.
2: Yeah.
1: Not in a way that I have seen other people experience relationship with God. And so I began to really pray at that time in my life. You know, I was a single mom, but there was definitely distractions, you know. And I remember one specific thing that I did was I was like, I am not. I was, you know, I would like watch TV shows or whatever on Netflix. And I just remember thinking, like, I have more time. Like, I'll give the little amount of time that I have in my day. I go to school full time. I work full time. I would leave sometimes my house at like eight in the morning and not get back until like 10 o'clock at night. And then I would have Sundays off. And it's like the little amount of my time that I do have free, I end up like binge watching some dumb Criminal Minds episode or whatever, you know? And it's like, I remember just like feeling like, I need to give that time to God. And so I remember making a decision. It's, again, sounds kind of cheesy, but I was like, I'm going to leave. My parents lived in a two-story house. so I'm going to leave my laptop downstairs because I'll be lazy enough that I won't want to go get it. <laughs> like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm going to pray. My my time with God will be before I go to bed and first thing when I wake up. And I made this like a routine in my life. And something happened. I, it really... For the first time ever in my life, really experienced God. It's like I I felt his presence. Like I remember one time talking to my dad about it. And I told my dad, I'm like, it's like a high. Legitimately. Like I know that sounds weird. But I was so just caught up in these moments that I would have with God. And I would read my Bible and I would pray. And I would sometimes weep at just, I would feel like the intensity of God there with me wow. and something shifted i experienced something real something tangible and i just remember my relationship with god going from like very kind of almost like checked checked the box you know mm-hmm. went to church on sunday went to church on wednesday you know did nursery did children's church to like it was real like wow. and i remember really praying like god i want to I want you to be my everything. I want to be so dependent on you that you're all that I need. You're you're enough. I don't need anything else.
0: Yeah.
1: And and I remember, you know, even I Autumn was getting older, she was like two, and I knew I wanted to get married. And I remember praying like God, you know, I don't want it to be way late in the game. Like I want Autumn to have a dad and a good dad, like I want her to have somebody that loves you and can set an example of of who you are. And, you know, I have such a great relationship with my dad. I wanted Autumn to be able to have that, you know. And so I would pray, you know, God, bring someone into my life. And um, I would pray for these things. And I remember even getting married to Eli. You know, I had this track record of a past. I remember leading up to meeting Eli. I would, I would talk to these guys and a lot of them were, you know, single dads or older. And I remember meeting Eli, you know, I'm five years older than Eli, you know, so he's younger than me. He's never left Prescott. He's born and raised in this church. Probably the worst thing he's done is swear. I don't know, you know, but like, here I am, you know, I'm like this past life. I was this huge party girl. And, you know, it's like, here, God gives me this guy that, He saved himself for marriage and I did. And I just remember thinking like, God, you're so good. Like you've redeemed, you know, there's that scripture in the Bible. I think it's in Joel where it talks about God redeeming the years that the locusts have devoured. Mm, And like, that's something that I've always, I've felt that I've experienced that in my life. Like there's things in my life that I felt like I threw out the window because of decisions I made, but God has brought them almost like, it's like he's redeemed those things Mm -hmm. through other things in my life.
0: And it's just really cool to see. Can you give me a little bit more detail about Autumn and and Eli's uh, yeah. relationship?
1: Yeah, so Autumn and Eli, it's crazy. I actually, oh my gosh. So when we moved here, Autumn definitely was, she was a, a little bit, I think it was, just, it was a big change for her. She was three years old. You know, she had only ever really been with like Grammy and, and Poppy, which is my mom and dad. And so when she moved here, The Snyders, it's a big family, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. immediately she's like, thrust in this big family and then a way bigger church. And so it took her some time. And I remember, girl, you might have been there. Um, I went to something with Jen, with uh, your sister, something work. And, like, we went to the Prescott Resort for, like, a dinner. And it was, like, a group of us. Oh, yeah. And um, I remember, like, we all dressed up. Yeah. And, like, so I left her with Eli that night. And it was the first time Eli, like, had her by himself. And Autumn just screamed and screamed and screamed and, like, would not stop. And so Eli finally, like, he was, like, getting kind of frustrated, you know? Yeah. So he went in and he laid hands on her and prayed over her and said, You are my daughter. And he said, and just basically, like, blamed her. And from that moment on, she stopped crying. And, like, they have... Dude... <laughs> Oh my God! He was like, uh, like just she was like, fine, you know. She, I mean, she was still a little bit emotional, but and um and from that point on, I mean, I remember when he would come home from work, he would come home and be listening to some podcast or some radio show, and she would run out and she'd sit in the truck with him. We have like these little old videos of her and she's talking. To she you got live. political
0: real fast. <laughs> no, <she did. laughs>
1: um but yeah you know she would she's just always and even still to this day I you know I know all girls I think girls go through the stage where they just for whatever reason have this moment where they're closer with their dads you know Mm -hmm. and so she's definitely in that stage now like we're in that (laughs) preteen stage but she loves Eli I mean that is his daughter through and through you know I have Uh, over the last few years started talking to Autumn a little bit more I kind of took the same approach with her as my parents did with me where it's just it's not a secret so a couple years ago uh, I had been visiting with my mom and dad and Eli was there and we were just talking about just how crazy it worked that like God placed me in the home he did like just thinking like in just retrospect, like my life could be totally different. It's just crazy how things work. And, you know, would I even be the Amy I am today had I not been placed in the home I was placed in and and stuff. And so I remember Autumn, she's kind of like a satellite and she listens and she's always like picking things up. And and so I remember going home and I was like, hey, just kind of I I use that conversation. I'm like, Hey, did, did you hear how, you know, mommy was adopted and, and stuff. And she was like, yeah. And she, I was like, do you know what that means? And she goes, yeah, you know, Grammy and poppy aren't your own mom and dad. And I said, yeah, I said, well, I was like, but they are though, because they chose me and they love me. And I said, you know, you're kind of similar daddy. He's not your biological dad, but he chose you. He wanted you. Like when he met mommy, he was like, I want to be Autumn's dad too. And like I've always tried to like phrase it like Eli wanted her. It wasn't just like oh Eli married me and got Autumn. It's right. like no Eli married me, but Autumn was the real prize.
2: That's that's crazy. I just keep thinking like as you're going talking about how it is now. It's almost like God pursues you. You know. Yeah. It's like he he pulls and pulls and pulls and then. That's what makes it awesome, though, because like you said, when you finally get it, you're like, man, God does love me. God is so good. He's so good.
0: It's so cool that you grew up in church, and then there was these moments where you knew what you were doing was wrong, and so you kind of come back to church. But the real time of knowing God was just after a simple decision to actually make time to know God. Yeah. I think that's so... So cool. And I know exactly what you're talking about because you grow up in church. And so you're doing all these things. And so you would think, oh, I'm a very committed person to God. For me, it was a very simple thing too, where I went to prayer in the morning and I read the Bible and, Mm -hmm. and I really, I made time for a relationship with God. And it was like the lights went on and it wasn't just a social Thing anymore because forever it was like kind of a social thing that's where my friends were, were at the church it's so beautifully simple that that was the turning point for you
2: yeah, yeah. isn't that crazy yeah
1: it was that's... cool I I've, I don't know if you guys have ever felt this way but it's like you have these moments with God and you know you go through seasons in life you know I've been saved now for close to 11 years a little over 11 years now and There have been times in my life where I'm like, God, I want, I want to feel that again. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I've ever felt that exact way. God gave me what I needed to really find him and find relationship with him in a way that I never had. But I've had moments since then in my life, you know, where it's like, I pray, God, I need a refreshing or I need, I just need to feel you in a way that I haven't in a long time. And God does it in different ways. When that happened, you know, granted, I had given up a lot of other things, but I just really made time for God. And yeah. I felt like God made time for me. And it, it really did change even my perception of God, like God loves me, even though I've screwed up, even though I've made a ton of bad decisions and God really cares about me. You know, here I'm, I'm this church kid who, who knew everything, knew right from wrong. I still chose to make wrong decisions, but God was like, no, I I still love you and I forgive you. And you know, it's like, I just remember really digging in to those aspects of God's character and really feeling that. And I think that it's, it's crazy too, because it even ties into like, when you are somebody that struggles with rejection, a lot of that just boils down to your view of God, especially when you're a Christian, if you're struggling with rejection. A lot of that stems from not, I think, not grasping that God loves you, that you're enough to God, and um, I think that that was something I needed to lift some of that because it's changed. I don't know. Like Elijah and I have talked about this at different times, but it's like I, it's not that I never struggle with believing God, but I've I just know God loves me. God saved me when I didn't deserve to be saved. God gave me chance after chance. Like it wasn't like I've I've had even, even throughout what I've shared today, there's other things that have happened in the midst of there, you know, and it's like knowing even out of some of those decisions too, it's like, God, God gave me another chance. Even with Autumn, it's like, God gave me, God gave me something even with her, you know, I didn't deserve her because he gave me her. She's a gift. I don't know. It's just, it's mind blowing to me how God has used things in my life or, you know, just different situations in my life. And like you said, some of them are so simple. Thanks
0: for coming on, Amy.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: And now it's documented.